2: Hello Bunker listeners, just a note, this was recorded on Thursday in the immediate aftermath of Boris Johnson giving his speech, so there'll be a few moments where you need to cast your mind back to the past, and remember, don't worry, you are in the future still, but this was just a few days ago, hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Jacob Jarvis. Boris Johnson's downfall has been everything we might have expected from him. Chaotic and shameful, swift yet drawn out. Words such as historic and unprecedented will undoubtedly be used in historic and unprecedented amounts to describe these events. But when things have settled somewhat, whenever that may be, and we look back, where will Johnson's chaotic departure rank among unceremonious exits of the past? With me to discuss this is rock and roll politics host Steve Richards. Hello, Steve. Hi there, Jacob. Thanks for joining me today, Steve. So let's get straight into it and dive in. Where does this rank in the history of unceremonious departures for prime ministers for you?
1: Well, a lot, though not all prime ministerial departures are messy. Uh, Some have been forced out against their will. But this was extraordinary and continues to be so. To give you an example, last night when he had clearly, Johnson, lost the support of his cabinet and parliamentary party, Johnson sent out his PPS, his sort of aid, parliamentary aid, to say he's upbeat and planning a program and all the rest of it. And even today, we've had the surreal experience of uh, him announcing his resignation while carrying out a cabinet reshuffle, which is usually a symbol of prime ministerial power, and yet he's supposedly going. So it has been wholly bizarre and without precedent in his failure to recognize that the game was up. From the
2: the number of resignations and then to you know, the tantrum sacking of Michael Gove,
1: have you ever seen anything remotely comparable, really? No, the the fall of Thatcher was very dramatic. And I was a young BBC political correspondent when she fell. And I was speaking to John Sopel, who was uh, is a friend of mine, was a BBC political correspondent at the same time. We said we thought we would experience, experience nothing as dramatic as that sudden act of regicide again but that was relatively straightforward because she went when the cabinet told her to do so. Johnson tried to stay on even when cabinet ministers said he had to go to the point as you say of sacking Michael Gove and endings are always part of a pattern and prime ministers who leave orderly tended to rule with a certain order those who leave chaotically, it kind of is part of the drama around them. And so this ending is absolutely part of a pattern with Boris Johnson, both in its sort of self-absorption. You know, his resignation speech, there was not a word of contrition, but an argument, basically, that the herd instincts of the Conservative Party kind of clicked into place, and he was removed unfairly in spite of his personal mandate. That's the summary of his resignation speech. So that side of it is in character, but so is the chaos around the departure. I mean, it has taken so long. Uh, Many prime ministers, I suspect, would have gone after the Partygate affair, but he had no intention of doing so. Uh, But this has got him finally. The the scale of chaos and still the uncertainty. But I think now the 1922 committee will take over and assert a timetable. And I think his kind of refusal to go willingly means they will make it as short as is feasibly possible. So throwing back to
2: prior departures sort of As I say so with Thatcher that was you know there was chaos around it but she did just she went in terms of you know the build-up before this can that be compared or is that also just sort of you know how quickly it went from you know Javin and Sunak have gone to suddenly
1: we're at what 60 people have left now I've long said on my Rock and Roll Politics podcast and elsewhere that the key ingredient was cabinet ministers resigning and telling him to go. Because before that point, and that was the same with Margaret Thatcher, before that point, you can have MPs calling for a prime minister to go. But if there is a sort of semblance of order at the top, of a cabinet still paying homage to the prime minister, that prime minister can carry on. But when he lost Javid and Sunak, and remember he's lost his party chairman after the by-elections, I knew it was then going to go quite quickly towards the End because you can't pretend even that you are master of a government, uh, even when you've lost your parliamentary party. The interesting thing with him, and this will torment him as someone who likes to think of himself as a historian, they killed off Thatcher in 1990. She had been prime minister since 1979. She did have, ha- she had had 11 years, which was a huge period of time. He has been removed after winning a huge majority in just December 2019, and that's really going to pain him. And that's one of the reasons why he's been so determined not to go. He wants to be a Churchillian figure. He believes in the sort of big figure theory of leadership and history, and he wanted to be one of them. Instead, he will go down as someone who blew a big election majority and was removed amidst uh, scandal. Um, and he will hate that.
2: I remember I was I was working as a reporter at The Standard when Johnson won in 2019. And I dug out my headline from that day, which was, Conservatives win majority as Boris Johnson secures landslide victory in historic election routes. Is that what also makes it so shocking? And has there ever been a, such a comparable, you know, political peak to nadir of what we've seen here, just in that in that sort of Condensed amount of time.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is. But as I say, I mean, Thatcher won an even bigger landslide in 1987 and was gone by 1990. But she had ruled for a long time. But it is, prime ministers in Britain are both very hard to remove and yet still vulnerable. And even landslide victories do not necessarily protect them if a party forms the view that they need to get rid of this person for whatever reason. But what is so unusual is to remove someone who's been a prime minister for such a short period of time. And I think the other reason, and here I have an ounce of sympathy for him, is that from his perspective, he thinks uh, he had to deal with the pandemic, the crisis in Ukraine, and has never really had the space to get going properly brexit which he you know he he claims to be passionate about but we all know he was ambiguous about from the beginning now he wouldn't have got any of his agenda done because he's wholly unsuited for he, he would have struggled as a junior minister i mean he is a columnist and entertainer who should not have got near politics but he will be thinking just as the pandemic is sort of ending it's not ending as we know, but he will have decided it it has ended. I'm going to move on to other things. They kick him out. And there has been nothing like it that, you know, in such a short period of time, someone who won an election is kicked out.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
1: We took it all. We brought
2: them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end...
0: What will I become?
2: Senua Saga. Hellblade 2.
0: Play it now with Game Pass. On the
2: topic of it being... A columnist. there's been this resurfaced article that, uh, penned by the man himself in 2010, where he took a bit of a, a dim view of the then Prime Minister Gordon Brown clinging on to power. So that's been brought up and sort of been compared and contrasted. But you know, casting your mind back to then, was that remotely comparable? And does it just look like such supreme, you know, hypocrisy or hubris from Boris Johnson to have said something like that? you know, a decade ago, and then now to have
1: been in the position we've seen him be in? Yeah, that that article now reads hilariously, because the context then was Gordon Brown as Prime Minister. I think the context was, he was negotiating with the Lib Dems to see whether there could be a coalition after the 2010 election, I think. And, you know, he had every right to do so in a hung parliament. That's what Prime Ministers do. This, there is no parallel. This was extraordinary that you have a delegation of senior cabinet ministers, including with utterly surreal edge, his newly appointed chancellor, telling him the game was up and he had to go. And he carries on until this morning, when he realized he couldn't form a government unless he resigned. So no, you know, as a columnist, I mean he got he got most things wrong actually as a columnist, but he could read the rhythms of politics and he could see as we all could, that Gordon Brown was vulnerable. So he pens that piece. He could not see it uh in the same way about himself. All his instincts were to keep going. And it was about him. I don't think there was a broader analysis, as there would have been, say, with Theresa May, who had a deep, deep flaws, but she would have thought, what's in the interest of the country and the Conservative Party? He thought, right, I, I won this election. I, I got that mandate. I'm staying on. Sod these people. So, you know, <laughs> I, so I've lied again. So what? I got a mandate in 2019. And you know, uh, that column is very funny to read in the light of his struggles to keep that job obviously from the the numbers of members of the government that have
2: gone there's there's basically nothing to compare to that but the behavior of ministers in the way it's been so as you say sort of Zahawi reportedly strong-arming his way to chancellor and then saying actually go pretty much what 24 hours afterwards have we ever seen ministers behave quite in this way and that sort of Level of getting into positions and turning so swiftly, those sort of cabinet you know, shuffles and moves around. Is, that, is there any precedent for that behavior?
1: And the new education secretary resigned this morning, making her the most short serving education secretary in, in, in history across the entire world, probably. No, there's been nothing like it. And I think this too is symptomatic of something a long serving one party government, uh, where people feel uh, in a complacent way, uh, we can do whatever we want. So, you know, I I think it's really damaged Zahawi that he he goes for the chancellor job. You know, I've always wanted to be chancellor, goes on various outlets uh, in the morning to say uh, he has full faith in Boris Johnson and by the evening is calling for him to go. This is not just surreal behavior it's irresponsible and self-absorbed and selfish and you know it's they've been in power for so long england anyway normally votes them in and so they could just think oh i'd quite like to be chancellor today whereas uh, if there isn't that sort of long serving government mentality you would think well how the hell will this look you know if i take the treasury does it look as if i'm just greedy for To be Mm. chancellor for self-interested reasons, Uh, is he really going to survive? And you pose endless, urgent questions. But when you assume power is yours almost eternally, you start behaving weirdly, and the behaviour weird is a polite word to describe the behaviour of many over the last forty-eight hours.
2: As they look to sort of shift blame around, I mean, Boris's speech largely, to me, came across as him sort of saying. I've been a victim of circumstance here and I've done some good stuff. So, hey, but if everyone wants me gone, all right. Do you think there is any way they're going to be able to angle that? You know, because someone's like Zahar, we say, well, we needed a chancellor and I stepped up and then turned around. And sort of, you know, there's been people like Wallace, for example, who said he won't go because you couldn't vacate a position such as his. Do those sort of
1: arguments hold? I think that does with uh, Ben Wallace and some of those who've just stayed in post, uh, because to vacate them without any chance of anyone moving in arguably would be irresponsible. You can't, Zahawi can't say that. He Well, he will. I'm sure he will say it. But yesterday morning, he tried to prop up Boris Johnson as the new chancellor. And there was talk last night. In another utterly bizarre twist that Johnson and he were going to be issuing a new joint economic policy today. Um, So those conversations presumably happened. Now, this is weird behavior, but you're right. They'll all say we've done this because it was in the national interest for the government to continue functioning. But in some cases, the calculations were far more multi-layered than that. I think
2: everyone sort of thought that Boris Johnson had this capacity, clearly, for self-indulgence and chaos. Did you ever think it could end up here, though, and quite quite like this? Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it, it is absolutely part of a pattern. And, you know, anyone who followed any policy initiative uh, would notice fairly soon a, a kind of chaos around it. I mean, his Brexit deal is a disaster. Just no one scrutinized it. Him and Lord Frosty Frost negotiated it. No cabinet looked at it. Parliament spent a few hours during the Christmas recess endorsing it. That was it. Labour never scrutinized it. Chaos. Leveling up, what, what form has it taken of any real substance? You know, flying people off to Rwanda, you know, it, 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 there is chaos around him and his life. And I think it would have been a, a much more surprising if there had been an ordered departure at some far off point. It was always going to end like this. And, and one of the big questions, which I think will fascinate historians, is why the Tory party turn to someone who was so obviously, as say, unsuited for a junior ministerial post. When he was foreign secretary, he was so marginalized. And even then, it was all pretty chaotic. And that was his only post in government. The mayor of London is a different and much easier role. Now, the answer, actually, to the question is they thought he could win an election and defeat the Brexit party under Farage. And they were right about that. But when you are voting for a prime minister, And by the way, uh, this will be, I think, the third time since 2010 the Tory party alone are about to decide a prime minister. You have a responsibility to go beyond just, is he or she a winner? Like, can she act or he act in the interests of the country? And yeah, so I think it will really interest historians that they turn to him.
2: To conclude, they're of the runners and riders and they're people who we think will put their names in the hat going forward. But whoever it might be and whoever the next government is formed of, do you think we'll ever see
1: anything like this again? Well, who knows? But no, I think there were, were certain freakish characteristics of Johnson uh, that, as I say, meant chaos of this scale was inevitable and unavoidable. And calamitous with with consequences that will be played out for many years to come, but that doesn't mean get ready for a period of kind of stability. I assume the leadership contenders will all pitch to the right, given the party membership you know that sort of mm. uh, th- this group of people who have the privilege of electing prime ministers every couple of years and and to the right of Boris Johnson who in his own chaotic erratic Shallow way was partly a sort of Keynesian who believed that public spending can generate economic growth. Mm. That is not where the Rishi Sunaks of this world are. They still pay homage to a kind of very outdated Thatcherism. So, you know, although we are, I suspect, not going to go through the chaos of a Johnson style leadership, there are many storms ahead. Steve, thank you so much for your time and your insight today. Brilliant. Thank you. Good luck, Jacob, with all the twists and turns.
2: Listeners, remember there's a new Bunker Daily every Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. We start your week on Mondays, the main panel show on Tuesdays, and the Culture Bunker on Saturdays. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. You can also back us on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast, the next time you're stuck with that hard to talk to you mate at the pub, how about saying, I listened to this brilliant episode of The Bunker today and you'll sound interesting, and maybe we'll get a new fan. This is Jacob Jarvis, signing out of the bunker. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure?
0: Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your
2: hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones.
0: And me, Nicky McCann-Ramirez.
2: Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Jacob Jarvis. The producers were Jacob Archbold, Jelena Sofrenievich and Alex Rees. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.